This is the Press Box. What can I say? I like to kill. Fish off. I don't understand that reference. Adam Candy. You know, these football players are very young, strong people. And physically, I mean, they're physically in extraordinary shape. So they're not going to have a problem. You're not going to see people, you know, could there be, could it happen? But I doubt it. You're not going to see people dying. Ed Grady is at the Super Bowl. So we have Adam Candy in studio today. NBA trade deadline is today. We will get you ready for the Super Bowl as well and get into some Golden Knights a little bit later. The First Bite. Is Zach Taylor a good coach? All right, Adam. Are the Bengals winning in spite of Zach Taylor? Hold on, Adam. We can't hear you. I kind of hope Adam was just talking into his mic for like 10 seconds. Adam's been talking into his mic for quite a while. (laughs) Hello, Adam. Are the Bengals winning? Adam's been talking into his mic. (laughs) We got you Um, now. Yeah, well. (laughs) Zach Taylor is not the solution. He might not be the problem, but he's not the solution to what's going on in Cincinnati. Um, He called against the Raiders in the wild card round. More than 50% first down runs. Imagine that if you were the head coach of a team that had Joe Burrow, you decided to open your drives by using not Joe Burrow more than half the time. (laughs) I could rest my case right there, but I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. You know what's disappointing? As I was like looking through prop bets for the Super Bowl, there's not really anything to bet on how many times will the Bengals run on first down. Like, the only thing you can really do is Joe Mixon total carries in a game. But I was really hoping there's, like, a, how many times will they run on first down over under because I would have bet the over on that. What you need is the kind of sports books that exist in other states where you can propose your own bet oh. and they'll give you odds. Oh, that's like. Fun. There, there's yeah that, that's exactly what you need are you telling me that we're we are no longer the fun state for sports betting that other sports are more fun than us i was in colorado last weekend and playing around with some of the sports betting apps that are there and let me just tell you uh we might not ever be the fun capital of the world again <laughs> okay hold on how does this whole proposal as we get completely off track from the super bowl how does the whole proposal thing work like how quickly do they get back to you Oh, they'll get back to you, you know, obviously shortly enough for you to be able to place the bet as long as it's not something like an insane 19-leg parlay. You know, it's <laughs> it's a, it's a advertised feature of a couple of sports books, uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of and yeah, I'm I'm not about to give anybody free publicity here on the rest box, but yeah, that that is that is easily doable. It's I don't know, it sounds like a fun job to receive the actual uh, made-up bets by other people. I'm sure it is a fun job to receive them. It's probably not a fun job to price them. No, because not at all. If you price them terribly, <laughs> then you're probably getting fired. So on Zach Taylor and the Bengals here, Charles McDonald sent out a tweet yesterday. The Bengals getting this far with Zach Taylor leading the way is incredible. I can't think of a more player driven team out there. And that was in response to uh, Sam Hoppen, who put out basically uh, expected points added. And he broke offenses in a part by scripted plays, which he defined as the first 15 plays of any game. That's sort of the general thought as you script your first drive, first 15 plays and unscripted plays, which is all the plays after those first 15 and the Cincinnati Bengals win scripted. So in those first 15 plays, their expected points added was in the bottom five of the NFL, but 
after those first 15 plays, they're in the top five of the NFL. So once they get away from whatever Zach Taylor designed for them in the week leading up to a game, they're one of the better offenses in the league. But in those first 15 plays, they're pretty terrible. For comparison, the Rams are roughly seventh, eighth in both categories. So their offense doesn't really have a drastic change compared to the rest of the league, whether it's the first 15 plays or the rest of the game. And I do feel like we're putting a little bit too much into that thought of scripted and and first plays of the game and all that. But it is interesting that there is at least some data point that suggests, yeah, the Bengals are better if you just kind of let Joe Burrow do whatever Joe Burrow wants to do. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit too much with a second-year quarterback to be ascribing the idea of, well, once it gets away from Zach Taylor. (laughs) uh, On the year, Cincinnati has a middle-of-the-pack first-down pass rate at 62.8%. But in the last three games of the regular season, it has 69.6 first-down pass rate. What it seemed like to me was that full-season stats don't tell the whole story. With Cincinnati, I think you need to look and see, did they adjust as time went on? And I'll give Zach Taylor this much room. When you have Joe Burrow coming back off a knee injury, and we spent all of training camp talking about, is Joe Burrow healthy? Is the knee right? Don't don't we remember the quotes that we were getting out of the wide receivers saying he doesn't look like himself uh, in training camp? Maybe Zach Taylor needed to, in his mind, work Joe Burrow back in. Maybe they were running too much early on, which is leading to some of that low EPA that you mentioned because they thought they were protecting Joe Burrow. Well, what we've seen is that Joe Burrow doesn't need anybody (laughs) to protect him from anything. Um, It's, you know, what's interesting on the Bengals is that, and earlier this week we had um, Jake on from the locked on Bengals podcast, Jake Liskow and not Jake from state farm, not Jake from state farm, Jake Liskow. And I, I asked him just like this time last year, like how far away did you think the Bengals were from from this, like from like we talk about it with the Raiders all the time and like how far we think this team is. And like last year, the Bengals, especially because Joe Burrow was coming off an injury, this like wasn't even conceivable. And now we're sitting here talking about how maybe the roster is so good that Zach Taylor is is sort of hindering them and they're still here in the playoffs. And they've had, you know, some close game luck in the postseason. Like it certainly hasn't been a dominant run here, but it's playoffs you just show up you win the game and you keep going like it's it's amazing how quickly and basically a year they've gone from injured quarterback they've got no offensive line really we nobody was thinking about the Bengals as like ah that team could win the Super Bowl if everything goes right and now we're sitting here talking about well they're so good the coach might be holding them back and they still might win the Super Bowl you know these are the sorts of things that Roger Goodell sees down in his basement and just sips a little bit of scotch and says, you know what, Raj, you did it again. Good <laughs> job, Raj. You know he talks to himself and calls himself by a nickname. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals did a couple of things very well. They drafted Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell at number five, and that has turned out to be a total home run for them. Jamar Chase is already one of the best receivers in the league. Crazy that we've seen this happen two years in a row with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson immediately becoming the best receivers in the league. Now, the other thing they did is much harder to do, and it's actually something the Raiders did, and it should give Raiders fans a little bit of hope. They did really well in free agency on defense. Uh, You look at bringing in Mike Hilton and Jadobia Uzier and Trey Hendrickson, they hit 
on all of the guys they brought in. They deepened their secondary. They improved their pass rush. Raiders did the same thing, right? Casey Hayward turned out to be outstanding. Denzel Perryman made the Pro Bowl. And I think Yannick Ngakwe's biggest contribution was forcing teams to pay attention to pass rushers on both sides of the line, (laughs) giving Max Crosby a lot of one-on-one opportunities early on in the season. Ngakwe did not have the best stats this year, but I think you are right that it wasn't, oh, it's Cleveland Furl over there. We don't really need to worry about that guy. Uh, So we're going to focus all our attention on Max Crosby. It's, It's an interesting turnaround, especially when you look at the Raiders here and sort of what your hope would be. I do think one of the big benefits for the Bengals this year is the injuries the Ravens had. And they, you know, they were looking up at a divisional bully type thing in the Ravens, like the Raiders are with the Chiefs. It might take some significant injuries for the, for, from the Chiefs for the Raiders to have this type of run, this type of turnaround in one season, because the problem for the Raiders and really the rest of this division is the odds are you're fighting for a wild card spot. The odds are you're not winning the division, and it's you know becomes very more much more difficult to win a conference to get to the Super Bowl if you're coming from a wild card spot as opposed to a division winner spot. Yeah, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals situation honestly, right? Because they made a lot of improvements, but they needed a lot to go their way. They needed the Baltimore Ravens to be one of the most injured teams in the league, losing both starting corners, half of their running back core, most of their defense at one point during the year. Like the Baltimore Ravens were beaten to hell and of course had to play a number of games without Lamar Jackson now you look at the Cleveland Browns and you say that's a team that got wiped out by COVID and in fact the Raiders beat them when they were wiped out by COVID and starting a third string quarterback so it's not to say those things can't go your way but you needed a combination of a wild injury bug and a COVID year in order for the Bengals to simply make the playoffs and the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers decided that Ben Roethlisberger's corpse was better than taking a $40 million cap hit this year. <laughs> yeah, it's because the Bengals are definitely candidate of the team that, hey, they made the Super Bowl and then they missed the playoffs the next season. They, I think that's that's a pretty easy sort of guess to make for next season that the Bengals will have a good shot at missing the playoffs entirely because their divisions is still going to be relatively difficult. They're not going to have any sort of cakewalk to the division, but it, if you're trying to sort of compare this team and what they can be as far as the, or what the Raiders can be, as far as what the Bengals did, there are some things to be hopeful for, like you said, building around the defense. And I would say the, the one other area is, you know, they've won close games in the postseason against the Raiders, against the Titans, against the chiefs. If you make the playoffs, you know, you're more likely if you're the division winner, more likely if you got some home games in there. But if you do make the playoffs, you can win three games in a row. Like, you can win some close games. The Raiders weren't exactly that far away from winning the first one that the Bengals ended up getting. No. God, Tyler, they weren't. Look, look, they're a couple of – the Raiders are a couple of calls, including the phantom whistle, (laughs) away from winning that game. So let's look at the Bengals' path they had to – walk they have that game where they beat the Raiders when the Raiders were inside the 10 yard line with a chance to win the game they also need Ryan Tannehill to throw to Nick Westbrook Akine on a 20 yard pass at midfield to not straight out lose to the Titans and then of course they have the massive comeback against the Kansas City Chiefs in which Patrick Mahomes turned into Jake from State Farm for the entire second half so it Let's not take anything away from the Bengals. In fact, I think Bengals plus the points is probably the right side in this game. But for them to get here took a lot. 
I kind of hope they win just so it's a look back of, wow, look at this kind of incredible run. Everything went right, and they actually won it. Not everything went right, and, oh, they came up seven points short in the Super Bowl because that's just not as fun of a story. No, it's not. And what it goes to show you is the randomness of football, period, right? Maybe it's not hockey being a stupid sport, (laughs) but being able to take what happens in football and understand it with the data that we use it's difficult. I'm not telling everybody don't listen to Tyler and I spewing numbers because that's kind of why we get paid. But what we do is we talk about a sport in which you have 16 regular season games per year, 17 now, that we're basing our data off. When we give you numbers from baseball, it's off 162 <laughs> games a year. We really have a chance to test the theory. When we talk about small sample sizes in baseball, we talk about 40 or 50 games. That's three seasons of the NFL. I think in baseball, we should go back to last season and just declare the team with the best record in the World Series wins the World Series. Uh-huh. I think that's that's the best way to do it. Just reward somebody for having a good season, not just a good trade deadline. Right? Uh-huh. That's what, that's what we should do. So you mean a good trade deadline as in getting a hitter who was under 200 from yeah. another team that's turning into it. a World Series hero? That's how you do it. Everybody should do it. Everybody under 200, just go trade for him. And the guy's going to, you know, hit one out of the city of Houston in the World Series. Okay. Well, I mean, look, if you want to try that, that's fine. (laughs) And look, we've seen in baseball, we've seen wilder things than that. Imagine winning a World Series because you figured out how to use trash cans to tell everybody what pitch was coming. It's helpful. I mean, listen, the the Braves basically traded for a bunch of trash cans and they hit a bunch of home runs in the World Series. So it's kind of the same thing. Coming up next. The Golden Knights, we got to stop pretending like they're ever going to be healthy. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. In what was one of the most no-show performances the Golden Knights have had this season, probably ever had, they lost last night 6-0 to the Calgary Flames. Uh, Got dominated pretty much from the start of that game, but... More importantly for the Golden Knights, at least uh, long-term, Mark Stone missed the game with an upper body injury. And if you go through some of the important players on this team and how many games they have missed, that's the 20th game Mark Stone has missed this season. Uh, The Golden Knights have played 48, by the way. William Carlson's missed 15. Max Pacioretty's missed 27. Alec Martinez has missed 37 games. Those are all four Very important players for the Golden Knights that they expect to play very well. They're going to win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, Jack Eichel has yet to play for the Golden Knights. That was expected when they traded for him, though. Um, But, Adam, we've we've talked a lot about the Golden Knights in this season, and they've had, you know, unprecedented amount of injuries. And, you know, eh, how do you evaluate this team? Well, wait till they get healthy, and they're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. Do we need to stop pretending they're going to be even close to full health? Like, do we just need to bake into our assumptions and our expectations of this team that they're going to be without an important player or two in the playoffs? You know, I wish I knew, Tyler, but (laughs) this is NHL injury reporting. We don't really know what these injuries are. Are they all freak injuries? Are they all Max Pacioretty blocking a shot and breaking his foot? Or are these repetitive use sort of injuries, right? Because if you look at the Golden Knights... They began the season in the lower half of the league in terms of average age. And when I say lower, I mean on the worse end, toward older, uh, at just about 27.6 as an average age. But a lot of that is brought up by the end of the roster. Because if you look at their top two lines, 
The youngest player on their regular top two lines is Chandler Stevenson at 27. But you have Pacioretty at 33. You have Marcheseau at 31. Riley Smith at 30. And then you look at a guy like Alec Martinez, who has the most missed games at age 34. And so you would look at these guys naturally and say to yourself, yeah, they're older. They're going to miss more time. That's just reality. But because the NHL gives us upper body injury and lower body injury, and half the time with the COVID protocol doesn't tell us whether someone actually tested positive or if they were a close contact, I think it's hard to say can we just call them injured the rest of the year? We know that they've missed the most man games to injury in the league so far this year, but we don't know if it'll continue. Let me ask you this. How many significant players, so not, you know, Nick Hague or Brett Howden, but how many significant players do you think the Golden Knights can can be missing and still be considered a cup contender? This team needs two lines. Right. We know that they need two lines to be able to compete. And they've shown that they can put different versions of two lines together, because once you get to the playoffs, think about what we've seen from the Golden Knights in the past. Ryan Reeves went off to brew beer for most of the playoffs in the past years. (laughs) So you didn't have to worry about the fourth line being out there a whole lot. And all the way back to year one, it was a matter of the first line, the third line really getting the job done for the Golden Knights. So I think they need to be able to piece two lines together. Now, how many players can you lose? You can lose two or three of your top forwards and still be able to do that because of what we've seen uh, from Pete DeBoer and his ability to mix and match. You can take a Nick Waugh and move him up. You've even seen him move Will Carrier up and be fairly effective playing on the first line. So I think that's a possibility for them. Um, You could see it affect the D. I think you need to, to look at the defense and say, how long can you get by playing Dylan Coughlin and Ben Hutton and, and Nick Hague significant minutes? That might be where the real problem is. Yeah. And so like, if you look at the golden Knights and their which players, you know, you at least want to lose. I think you're right in terms of the two line thing there, that as long as you've got six forwards and obviously which six and which positions they play, you need some centers out there, but that should be solid enough forward wise, but defensively, we're going to see heavy minutes out of Alex Petrangelo. And like that to me is the one guy that's like, all right, if they lose Alex Petrangelo, now they're scrambling to find minutes, right? They've played this season without Alec Martinez, uh, but you probably need him back there. But like Alex Petrangelo going down would be massive because now all of a sudden is Shea Theodore playing that many minutes. And then who's the second defenseman or who's the second pairing that's getting the bulk of the rest of the minutes. Cause you can get by, if your third pair defensemen don't play a whole lot in the playoffs, right? You can get by with two good pairs of, of defensemen, but as long as Alex Petrangelo is one of those, you're going to feel pretty comfortable about it. If you lose Alex Petrangelo, that would be a big deal. Cause like if you, if you said who were sort of the most important players or, or the least replaceable players for the golden Knights, Robin Leonard's probably number one, right? Cause you're outside of a Laurent Brossois breakout. You're probably not winning a Stanley cup unless Robin Leonard is playing well as your goalie. So Robin Leonard's number one, I think Petrangelo is number two, and then I'd actually probably put Jack Eichel third, even though that feels hard to do since we haven't actually seen him play. But if he's Jack Eichel, he's the best player on this team. And so I'd put him in the top of that list, too, is we're kind of assuming he's going to be healthy and that he might be able to cover up some of the holes they might have from injuries the rest of the roster. But Leonard and Petrangelo right now are the top two guys they need to be healthy. And outside of that, it's more about how many good bodies do you have as opposed to anything else. So I'm going to add one name to that list. And frankly, they've been playing sort of without him for a lot of this season. It's William Carlson. 
Uh, it's not been a great season for Carlson, but when you talk about center depth for this team, if you just looked objectively and said, you know, who is currently among healthy players the best center on this roster? It's William Carlson. Chandler Stevenson is having a better season. William Carlson is a more important player. He plays both uh, specialty units and he centers one of their most important lines. So I think he's another guy that you have to look at and say, if they lost him for a significant period of time, the pieces don't fit as well together because I don't know that you can count on Jack Eichel given his situation. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, of all of all the injuries we don't know about, we kind of know everything about Jack Eichel's injury situation because that's how the Golden Knights got him. So you are right in terms of counting on Jack Eichel. It's probably better to view him as a bonus more than, hey, we need to rely on that guy. And I think the Golden Knights, again, if fully healthy, which I just said 10 minutes ago, we should stop doing that. But if fully healthy, a bonus Jack Eichel, they're Stanley Cup contender, even if Eichel isn't Jack Eichel. But again, I don't know if they're going to be that. Let me ask you one last thing on the Golden Knights there. With the loss last night, Calgary has a higher points percentage than Vegas. So if you go by points percentage, Calgary actually has the best record in the Pacific Division. They have five games at hand on the Golden Knights. That's why it's uh, weird if you look into the standings right now. Does the one seed in the Pacific matter? I normally would say no, Tyler, but the, the Golden Knights broadcast last night ran through the type of losses that the Golden Knights have had in Calgary over the years, and they've all been destructions like last night. And so as much as you can look at the other side and say, well, the Golden Knights are nearly undefeated against Calgary in Vegas, um, honestly, BGK fans, that was back when you made this a hard place to play. And this building is not the same as it was in past years. So if you're going to look at it and say, does home ice advantage matter? It matters when you have a team that has not played particularly well in a building over the years and looked horrible last night. And I, I want to give some credit to uh, our friend Ken Bulky over at Sinbin because he was tweeting throughout the victory against Edmonton the night before saying, yeah, you know what? Um, I don't like the way they're playing. Like the results say they won for nothing. I don't like the way this game is going. And then he came back last night with the stats after the first period of both games and showed how the Vegas Golden Knights by most numbers basically played the same first period in taking a lead in Edmonton and getting ripped in Calgary. Yeah, they didn't play very well um, in either one of the games. But like you said last segment, hockey's dumb. Sometimes you win the games, even though you don't play very well. I would say the question about the one seed in the Pacific, to me, it comes back to what's more important. Home ice advantage in the second round or, and this is based on the standings right now, your first round matchup. Because I think you can argue the two seed has an easier path than the one seed based on the Pacific Division being pretty terrible because right now there are four teams in the central division that are have a higher points percentage than the golden Knights, Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Nashville. If you win the Pacific division, you are playing whichever one of those teams finishes fourth in the central division right now. It would be Nashville. If you finish second, you get to play the third place team in the Pacific, which is right now LA Anaheim Edmonton are sort of the three teams battling for that. I would rather play L.A., Anaheim, or Edmonton in the first round than Nashville or St. Louis or Minnesota, whoever falls to fourth in the Central. So the two seed most likely is going to have an easier first-round matchup. But the question is, is that more important than having home ice in a presumable second-round matchup with Calgary? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question because there are certain teams, depending on how the other division shakes out, that you just don't want to see. I mean, look, the Golden Knights survived Minnesota last year. You don't want to see Minnesota. That's a death matchup for this team. We're starting to see that maybe Calgary is something similar in terms of their points percentage because we know it's better than the Golden Knights right now. Um, What's something that's more worrying to me, I guess, in the end than where I have uh, home ice versus Calgary? All right, coming up next, we're going to jump back into the NFL and try to trade away some quarterbacks that probably ultimately won't get traded. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Tomorrow, I'm going to be out at PT's Pub on Tropicana and Maryland for UNLV and Boise State. It's an 8 o'clock start. Uh, but we're having a watch party out at PT's Pub. We are going to have a lot of giveaways. Uh, usually we got like $50 to Top Golf and uh, some movie tickets and some concert tickets. We'll find out what band I've never heard of, but we'll give tickets away for them tomorrow. Also, you can get entered to win beer for a year from Miller Lite uh, and a staycation at the Stratosphere. Uh, coming up later in the show today, we'll have John Mayer tickets. So stay tuned for that now. NFL season, even though we're not technically to the offseason, we did this last year. Not much actually changed. We're going to do it all again, and that is speculate on where quarterbacks are going to end up getting moved to. And we're at we're already here, Adam, at the time of year where we get to decipher Aaron Rodgers' teammates' words and figure out which ones he's actually friends with, which ones might actually have talked to Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Jones said this week, I think he'll be there. In my heart, Green Bay. Imagine him anywhere else. That's where he's been his whole career. I just can't picture him anywhere else. I think we had a lot of fun this year. I hope to have him back, and I believe in my heart he'll be back. Does Aaron Jones have a direct line of communication to Aaron Rodgers? Does he know where Aaron Rodgers wants to play? Of all the quarterback situations, this is the one I can't do. I just I can't. I, 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 I have reached my Aaron Rodgers peak. I, I am full up. Uh, I am a bucket of horse paste. I am full. I cannot talk any more about Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, why would we talk about Aaron Rodgers when we could talk about Kyler Murray's Instagram? Oh, we've done Kyler that. Kyler Murray oh, took all so references good. to the Cardinals off his Instagram. And when his agent was asked about his future with the Cardinals, he basically said no comment. Oh. It's been it's been a fun last 48 hours of trying to figure out what Kyler Murray wants out of deleting his Instagram post. And by the way, I the part of it I don't understand is, okay, you delete all your stuff off Instagram. I assume you're trying to send some sort of message. Why wouldn't your agent comment on what the message is unless he's unless Kyler's already talked to the Cardinals about whatever the hell he wanted to talk about? I don't get the no comment because you're trying to send a message, but nobody knows what that message is. If you just delete Instagram post and say no comment. Okay, you have to know that the Arizona Cardinals are a weird franchise, right? The Bidwells have always been a strange group to deal with. But that being said, they're not so strange that they're too stupid to extend Kyler Murray. So it can't be about a contract. So is it about wanting away from Cliff Kingsbury? Because uh, otherwise, I don't know exactly what the issue would be. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins and gave him a number one receiver. They otherwise have put together a roster that at one point had the Cardinals undefeated past the halfway mark of the year. So I don't know what it is Kyler Murray would be looking for beyond maybe telling Cliff Kingsbury to get out of his bachelor pad because he wants to live there. <laughs> I mean... 
I you don't think he'd want out of Arizona, like you say Kingsbury, but do you, do you think there's any reason he'd just want out of Arizona? It doesn't make any sense yeah. on its face, but then again, we're not we're not in his head. We don't know what's going on. What we are is on his Instagram because that's how we have to figure these <laughs> things out these days. The agent says no comment. We have to look at his Instagram, and what was the one thing that was left there? A picture of him and Mike Evans. He's going to Tampa. There you go. Going He's going to Tampa. to Tampa. We just have to connect the pieces here on the press box. Or he and Mike Evans are both orchestrating trades to a completely different team. The Raiders. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Kyler Murray and Mike Evans demand trades to the Raiders. We're now in an era where players can demand trades to specific places, even though none of this is actually going to end up happening. Which, by the way, who's the... Let me ask you this right now. The most significant quarterback that changes teams this offseason will be who? If Aaron Rodgers moves, then it's not close. But I say it's Aaron Rodgers. I I, I do think... I do think Aaron Rodgers is the most significant quarterback who ends up moving this year. I'm not saying that it's because things are too fractured in Green Bay. I think it's because Green Bay looks at the situation, realizes that if they don't move Aaron Rodgers now, they're going to lose him for nothing when the contract is up. And so if they want to take that franchise and begin the reset, because it seems like they're still far apart with Devontae Adams on what they're going to pay him, then if they truly want to accelerate the reset away from Aaron Rodgers, they need to trade him, and they need to trade him to a team that's desperate to get him. And so, I mean, look, the Broncos are a minus price on the board right now to end up with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback <laughs> next year. So clearly the market believes that Rodgers is going to end up in Denver. The second most significant quarterback to get traded this year would be Russell Wilson. But that Seattle franchise is so dysfunctional in the front office right now that I don't know what they're going to do. I think I will say I think we're going to be disappointed it ends up being Jimmy Garoppolo is the answer to that question. But on Russell Wilson, Paul Gutierrez of ESPN took part in a a little project there where they try to simulate the offseason and make a bunch of offers to the writers of other teams and see what they would do. So a bunch of people offered uh, trades for Russell Wilson and Paul Gutierrez's offer for the Raiders was Derek Carr a second round pick and Jonathan Abram for Russell Wilson and a fifth round pick. That would be a steal for the Raiders. Would it not? Imagine if you were in the Seattle front office and this call came in from Dave Ziegler and said, you know what? We want Russell Wilson. Okay. What are you willing to pay? Well, we'll give you a quarterback who's on the last year of his contract and you're going to have to pay something close to what you're paying Russell Wilson. But wait, he's not as good as Russell Wilson. Uh, We'll give you a second-round pick, and we will, just because we like you, we will throw in a completely crippled, maybe safety, maybe linebacker. How quickly would you hang up the phone? Seriously. Well, how many first-round picks they give up for Jamal Adams? They gave up two first-round picks. (laughs) For Jamal Adams. When Jamal Adams was thought to be one of the best defensive players in the league. Let's talk about first-round picks, though, because if you're getting Russell Wilson, you are trading a first-round yes. pick. Period. Yes. End of story. To, to, to put anything out there involving a two for Russell Wilson is wishful thinking. Because Matthew Stafford involved two first-round picks. He probably involves at least one first-round pick, even if the Jared Goff contract isn't going back the other direction. And if you look back over history, the Raiders had to trade a first-round pick in order to get Carson Palmer years ago. 
You know who got traded for a second-round pick in the 2018 offseason? That was Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, Jimmy G. Oh. So if Jimmy G was a second-round pick, Russell Wilson ain't going anywhere for a second-round pick. And let and again, you can't just put Derek Carr in the trade and say, oh, well, we get Derek Carr. No, you get one year of Derek Carr undervalued and then nothing it's also from seattle's perspective yeah if you're trading russell wilson you're kind of saying we're not trying to win in 2022 right so why would you take Derek carr like Derek carr is a quarterback you're trading for if you've got a pretty good roster and you're trying to win and you're trying to do you know what, what the rams just did type thing right like that's where Derek Carr has value to a team. It wouldn't be to a team who's giving up on their franchise quarterback and effectively going back, which you can apply that same logic to the Packers. If the Packers move on from Aaron Rodgers, they don't need to acquire Derek Carr, right? You're clearly saying, all right, 2022 is not about winning the Super Bowl for us. So you're not getting Derek Carr if you're the Packers or the Seahawks in that scenario. You're effectively rebuilding. You're effectively, if you're the Packers, you're going to, I assume give Jordan Love at least one season to show if he can do it. And if you're Seattle, you're, I don't know, drafting a quarterback or maybe you're waiting a year because you don't like this class, whatever. But yeah, that trade wouldn't make much sense. So, God, it's fascinating. I love doing this even though it means nothing. Like, I'm serious when I tell you I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the most significant quarterback that goes somewhere, and we're going to spend three or four months here talking about six different quarterbacks that might go somewhere. And every time somebody does anything on Instagram, it's going to start another week of talk, and it's great. So why does Aaron Rodgers stay in Green Bay? I want to know from your perspective, because we got to this point of the offseason last year and said it is a lock that Aaron Rodgers never plays another down for Green Bay. And then when he came back, said it clearly was a handshake agreement that Aaron Rodgers will be traded in the offseason. And now we're all trying to read tea leaves again here. But if you're the Green Bay Packers and you look at how far you've gotten with Aaron Rodgers, at some point you have to be honest with yourself, right? And say that, even though Aaron Rodgers is a first ballot Hall of Famer and all-time elite quarterback, something in the mix hasn't panned out. You've been to one Super Bowl. Not won one Super Bowl, which is what you have, but you've only been to one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. And at some point, and the point would be now with a guy in his late 30s who clearly has other ambitions in life, to make a change. Make the change now while it can still benefit your team. If you try to run it back one more time, how do you not end up exactly where you did last year, which is scoring one touchdown against the San Francisco 49ers on your home field? I think like if the reason that I think Aaron Rodgers plays one more season in Green Bay is because I think the way that they look at it is not, hey, they lost by scoring one touchdown against the 49ers, and hey, they haven't been to the Super Bowl since they won it in 2010 or 11, right? I think the way they look at it is Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers have won 13 games in the regular season every single year they've been together. If they keep Aaron Rodgers, they think they're going to win 13 games again, be the one seed in the NFC, and have a legitimate shot to win a Super Bowl. And as an organization, I think they're looking at it saying that's worth it. Like, even if that means... Aaron Rodgers leaves for nothing and the the rebuild takes, you know, an extra three years instead of getting kickstarted this year, I think they're going to look at it and say, that's worth it. I think they believe they can win the Super Bowl if Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback and they're going to attempt to do that next season instead of blowing it up a year early. If that's the case, then show me the Devontae Adams contract because the one piece you're not talking about in there is whether Devontae Adams resigns because without Devontae Adams on this roster or a significant replacement for Devontae Adams, they ain't winning 13 games. They are going to... 
um, in the last year that they have Aaron Rodgers, finally draft him a first-round quarterback. Or first-round wide receiver. Oh, your Freudian slip is probably right. I did. They did. did. They drafted him a first-round quarterback already. (laughs) He's the Mountain West's finest. Can they draft Malik Willis in the first round this year? Oh, God, please. Please. (laughs) Let's have the entire Green Bay training camp be an open quarterback competition for Aaron Rodgers' job while he's watching. (laughs) It's been great. All right. Coming up next, we're going to stay here in the NFL, but we're going to take a look at some of the new head coaches across the NFL. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. All right, a lot of new head coaches in the NFL. Bears, Broncos, Giants, Raiders, Vikings, Jags, Dolphins, Texans, and Saints all hired a new head coach this offseason. Adam, I'll ask you just the general question. Who do you think made the best hire? Do you know how long it's been? since I got to say something positive. Oh, it's the Giants. It's the Giants. I love the Brian Dable hire. I really do. I I, I love the way that uh, people have talked about Brian Dable's success in Buffalo. Love the fact that Josh Allen didn't want him to go. Um, I think Brian Dable, along with Joe Shane coming from Buffalo, is a true reset for the Giants front office. So I think Brian Dable on paper, is the best hire. I could also get behind Doug Peterson because putting an adult in the room in Jacksonville <laughs> seems like a really, really good idea at right about this particular moment. Um, you know, if you're someone who believes that uh, pulling fruit off the McVeigh tree makes sense, then Nathaniel Hackett and Kevin O'Connell are, are a good start in doing it. I so I agree with your point on on uh, Doug Peterson that while uh, in terms of head coaching candidates he probably wouldn't have been the my favorite or the one I'd want the most but the situation in Jacksonville okay I I get it yep I I understand why that's where you'd want to go and why that's what would make a lot of sense there um, I have one caveat because I do agree with you I think Brian Dable's the one that I am I think is going to be the best or the one that I would have wanted the most. The one caveat is if there is any possibility that Nathaniel Hackett helps the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers. Like if there is any, if that's real at all, then the Broncos made the best hire of the offseason if it helps them get Aaron Rodgers. There's only one way to ensure that the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, and Tyler has nothing to do with Nathaniel Hackett. You need to sign Randall Cobb. We figured out last offseason that the key to Aaron Rodgers' happiness (laughs) is a fourth receiver that he never throws to. (laughs) So you need to find Randall Cobb and bring him in. You need to see if Greg Jennings is still available. Um, Anybody, (laughs) Sterling Sharp, like like anybody who might have had a connection as a Packers receiver needs to be brought in. Look, maybe, maybe he ends up there. Maybe he doesn't. They're not rolling into another season with Teddy Bridgewater or... Drew Locke. There's no way that Nathaniel Hackett <laughs> came from Green Bay, looked at Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and said, yum, yum, give me some. The Denver Broncos. You missed the key, though. It's Jordy Nelson. He's only 36 years old. Jordy Nelson will only play for John Gruden. I've heard that. I, I, I have sources <laughs> who tell me that Jordy Nelson will only play for John Gruden, who probably will show up in the USFL. Now, here is an interesting part of the offseason. We saw of these new hires, uh, one was an unemployed former head coach, Doug Peterson, but the rest of them were working as coordinators this previous season. Five of them were offensive coordinators. Three of them were defensive coordinators. Um, 
there have been a couple of sort of stories about offseason and, hey, what you should be looking for in a head coach. And a lot of them center around um, offense and that offense is much more reliable. Offense is much more, or the key, I should say, for teams that make it to the Super Bowl. Your offensive, you know, whether it's DVOA or expected points added, whatever it is, having a good offense tends to translate year to year much better than having a good defense. And it tends to translate winning regular season and in the postseason. And even though we still had three defensive coordinators that were hired here, I feel like teams, they kind of understand that even if they don't actually know that data, they kind of understand that idea that, hey, we need to get the offense figured out and the defense is kind of secondary to that. But let me tell you something interesting that goes along with that, Tyler. Joe Shane, the GM of the Giants now, was very clear about the fact that he prefers that Brian Dable as the head coach is not calling plays. So if the offensive coordinator is going to be the one calling plays and Brian Dable is going to be more in charge of game management, are you getting the full value out of bringing in the offensive mind of Brian Dable? I don't know. I, I don't know that that's something where you can get the mind meld between the offensive coordinator who becomes head coach and the offensive coordinator. We'll find out in a number of these situations. What I think is clear, though, and we're going to have Eric Eager on the show from Pro Football Focus here in about 20 minutes, but what I think is clear from the data over the years is that offense is far more stable than defense year to year. You can predict what offenses will do with far more clarity than you can predict what defenses will do. I don't know that hiring coordinator is necessarily the answer to everything. I think you need a leader. I think you need someone the locker room believes in. I think you need uh, someone who you know everybody can rally behind. I think the Raiders had that with Rich Passaccia. We'll find out if Josh McDaniels has that quality about him. He admitted that the one thing he didn't do well in Denver was manage people. Hmm. So it's a little dangerous for the Raiders to be bringing in a guy who admittedly had trouble managing people into a locker room that only made it through this year because they had someone who was great with people. Before we wrap up this segment, Derek Carr's the best quarterback that new coaches are walking into. Best current new quarterback that yeah, I mean coaches they, are walking into. I mean, obviously, like Trevor Lawrence, you, you get excited if you get to walk into that. Maybe you do with Justin Fields a well, little bit. Well, you know too. what? You know what? It's actually Kirk Cousins. Is it okay? That's that yeah. was I was gonna say. Kirk like Cousins I was looking at that Carter. again. I, I think Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback yeah. than Derek Carr. And, I, I don't think it's significant, but I think he is. And we talked about this um, a couple of shows ago, but the, the main difference in the Vikings and the Raiders' job is what happens with Aaron Rodgers, right? If Aaron Rodgers leaves, the Vikings have a, uh, maybe not clear, but a much easier path to winning their division, whereas the Raiders are stuck looking up at Patrick Mahomes. And Justin Herbert exists too. So the Vikings' job with Kirk Cousins, that might actually be the most immediate success for a new coach.